Keep me always loyal and true to thee, my King. Well, how will you get on when faith is tested? What does a real living faith in God look like? Often, your faith will be, in many ways, quiet and unassuming. Because men and women who've put their faith in Christ will be humble and gentle and gracious and not flashy and showy or attention-grabbing. A faith that is seen, seen as being very real, a faith that does get noticed by unbelievers, but not necessarily what you might call spectacular in its appearance. Paul, when he wrote to the Thessalonian church on one occasion, said, Aspire to lead a quiet life. Mind your own business. Work with your own hands. That you may walk properly to those who are outside. A real living faith is seen, for the most part, day by day, in terms of growth in character and Christ-likeness, growth in holiness and goodness, trusting in God in both good times and in bad, being ready to speak about Christ as opportunities present themselves. And for many Christians, doing away with things like pride and covetousness and jealousy and envy, learning how to be humble and forgiving, learning how to control your tongue, learning to be content in any circumstance, to be earnest in prayer and in the study of God's word. For many of us, these actually are some of the greatest challenges of the faith that we'll ever contend with. And what an amazing victory of faith it is when we can actually sort those things out in our lives. What a wonderful evidence of God's power and grace within us it is when the Lord changes those kinds of things within us. But sometimes... Our faith really is put to the test in front of others. What might it look like then? Nehemiah is the cup-bearer to King Artaxerxes in his palace at Shushan. And that's where he is when he receives this news about Jerusalem. He's been desperate to know how things are going with his fellow Jews back in their old city the ones who've returned from captivity in Babylon to their homeland. And it's not good. The people are in great distress. Yes, they've managed to rebuild the temple, but the rest of the city still looks like a war zone. And the walls in particular, which are their main form of defence, are still rubble in most places. 
and Nehemiah is distraught. We saw last time how this godly man falls down before the Lord and pours out his heart. What else can he do? What better thing could he do? And you remember we saw the, despite the awful circumstances that he's been made aware of, he begins his prayer with adoration of God. And on behalf of all of the people, he confesses their sins before the Lord. And he reminds God of his many promises. God's promises remain Nehemiah's great hope. And he has confidence that if the people will repent, they surely will be forgiven and they'll be reconciled to God once more. And he looks to God to grant mercy and deliver them. There's much to be learned from that initial response of Nehemiah when bad news came. You'll get bad news sometime. How would you respond? And this morning the story moves on and Nehemiah's sorrows lie very heavy upon his heart. A lot of you will know what this feels like. You can actually feel physical sensations inside your chest. You've never perhaps before understood what someone meant when they said, I've got a knot in my stomach over this. But then something happened. And then you knew. And in this state, Nehemiah goes to work in his role as the king's cupbearer. And he walks into the presence of the king to serve him his wine. And Artaxerxes takes one look at Nehemiah and his pain and his sorrow is written all over his face. He simply cannot conceal it, even from the king. And the king is startled to see his servant looking like this because he's never seen Nehemiah look like this before. And quite naturally, the king asks him, what's wrong? And Nehemiah thought that that knot in his stomach was already as tight as it could get. But now it's been twisted even tighter. He is terrified to know what to do and what to say. Let me remind you of something. If you were in our series when we, be, when we began back in Ezra, when we were in chapter 4 of Ezra, we read two letters there and I said at the time that one of those letters is out of date order. It's not in chronological order there in Ezra 4. Ezra recorded a time when a king called Artaxerxes was king. This was ahead of Ezra's time and Artaxerxes received a letter from Rehum and Shimshai, his governors in Judah. And that letter, back in Ezra chapter 4, concluded with these words. We inform the king that if this city is rebuilt and its walls are completed, the result will be that you will have no dominion beyond the river. This is the Artaxerxes who Nehemiah is now standing in front of. Very sad. This is the Artaxerxes 
whose reply to that letter was that all the building work in in Jerusalem should stop. Artaxerxes is the very cause of Nehemiah's sorrow. And Nehemiah now has to tell him why he's sorrowful. No wonder Nehemiah is terrified. What we have here, first of all, is an example of faith put on the spot. And you'll find yourself there as well. Faith put on the spot. Now, your circumstances will be different to those of Nehemiah. But increasingly, you are going to find yourself in situations where your faith is put on the spot. As someone asks you a direct question, like Nehemiah was asked of the king. Might happen at school. It might happen at university. It might happen in your place of work. Not long ago, the main issues that Christians had to contend with with unbelievers focused around science and creation versus evolution. But you know only too well that to a large degree, all of that has been overtaken in the last few years with issues of equality and diversity and particularly all of these LGBT issues which surround us all the time. And from being merely a point of disagreement, it's all becoming decidedly nasty. We never reached the point where it was a crime not to believe in evolution. It still isn't. But stand up and reject the LGBT agenda and see what happens. And there will be times when things like that are the topic of conversation. And people will turn to you and they'll say, so what do you think? And all the eyes are on you. And all the ears are waiting to hear. And at that moment, you will know exactly how Nehemiah felt. How can Nehemiah help you? Let's notice a few things about his reply. This is verses 2 and 3 to begin with. Number one, he remains respectful. He, a Jew, addresses this pagan king with the respect and courtesy that his position as king demands. Being a Christian is not a reason to be nasty to people, even if they're nasty towards you. That ought to be obvious, but there are plenty of Christians who are anything but Christ-like as they stand against an opposing view. Don't let that be you. Be respectful. Be polite. Those who are in civil authority over us are to be treated with the respect and the courtesy that their position demands. As are teachers, lecturers, employers. 
Read Paul in front of the Roman governors in the closing chapters of the Acts of the Apostles and you'll see him exemplify this principle. He's courteous. He's respectful. But, next, he never ducks the issue and neither must you and neither will Nehemiah. Faith doesn't duck the issue. Faith stands ready to confront it. Now, Nehemiah might have been tempted to somehow try and wriggle out of it, but he doesn't. Terrified though he is, genuine faith in God keeps him from ducking out. That's how genuine faith behaves. These are the kinds of faithful people that God needs in the world today. These are the kinds of faithful people God uses in the world today. Compared to the king, Nehemiah is nothing. But with his faith in God, Nehemiah has everything. And notice too as Nehemiah replies that he is tactful and he's not unnecessarily provocative. He could have pointed his finger at Artaxerxes and really laid into him. And had he done so, he probably would have found that his head was swiftly removed from the rest of his body. Now sometimes <coughs> Christian witness will come to that but we don't put ourselves there unnecessarily for lack of a bit of tact and wisdom. Notice to begin with in verse 3 that Nehemiah doesn't name the place he's talking about. Now, did Artaxerxes know that he was a Jew and that he was talking about Jerusalem? Well, maybe he did. Maybe he didn't. But Nehemiah begins tactfully. Nevertheless, tells the truth. Those who are faithful to God will always speak the truth. And I don't just mean not tell lies. Of course, it is that. But keep speaking the kind of truth that the world often doesn't want to hear. The kind of truth that may well provoke people no matter how tactfully or gently it's put. The kind of truth that can make you vulnerable, like Nehemiah was. The kind of truth that can leave you exposed, like Nehemiah was. The kind of truth that can leave you feeling isolated, like Nehemiah was. That truth which is of God. Faithful ones are ready to declare it. Nehemiah speaks the truth. God is looking for men and women. He's looking for young men and young women who will be faithful in this world in speaking truth. Will you be one? These are the kinds of people God uses and works through. Even when your faith is put on the spot, even when you're terrified, Will you not even now, in the quietness of your own heart, covenant with the Lord always to be faithful?
and to be ready to speak the truth. And then Nehemiah continues, secondly, in verses 4 and 5. And he shows us that he has faith to do great exploits. He has faith to expect great things from God. As I was reading through these verses, I found myself imagining what thoughts and emotions might be running through Nehemiah's head. I reckon as he was standing there before the king, his heart had never beaten faster. What do you request, Nehemiah? Asks the king. Hmm. Is the king serious? Or is he just toying with me? Is he really going to consider this? Or is he just having a bit of fun? before he takes my head off its shoulders. Which is it? And so Nehemiah prays. Now, I'm fairly certain he didn't turn his back on the king and walk out the room and go and spend a couple of hours praying. As he stood there, in front of the king, he prayed. There wasn't long... I wonder how his prayer went. I suspect he simply threw himself upon the Lord and asked for strength and wisdom to keep on speaking. And then in faith, he made his request. And note once more his tone and his manner as he speaks to the king. If it pleases the king, if your servant has found favour in your sight, I ask. He's gracious again, he's respectful again. He acknowledges the king's authority. He doesn't try to usurp the king's authority. He seeks the king's permission. Asks that it might actually be the king who would send him? And perhaps with great trepidation, names his homeland as Judah. Well, if our tax Xerxes didn't already know, he does now. The king knows exactly what he's dealing with. A little earlier in the time of this captivity in Babylon, right at the beginning of it, in fact, one of the men who was taken into Babylon was Daniel. And in chapter 11 of the book that bears his name, we read these words. The people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. I'm sure it was the case that in that brief moment as Nehemiah paused and prayed, the Lord indeed granted him strength and granted him the courage that he needed and increased his faith to be able to ask. What an encouragement this is for you today if you ever find yourself in a similar situation. What a help this man is to all of us who are tempted to shrink back when we have the opportunity to step forward. You've been there? 
You've got the opportunity to step forward for Christ and you just want to go backwards. Well, Nehemiah prays. And God grants him the strength and the courage and the conviction to stand and to hold his ground before the king. The Lord will do the same for you. Now, not everyone gets to be Nehemiah. And Nehemiah didn't spend his whole life doing this kind of thing. As I said at the start, much of being faithful is found in making sure that you're consistent in all the little things in life. Having a life of integrity. Remaining worthy of the calling with which you've been called. You don't have to be consistently on the lookout for some fantastically impressive project thinking that that's the only measure of active faith. But sometimes that is what God calls his people to do. And that's what he's put in Nehemiah's heart right now in front of the king. And so by faith he must do it. And in faith he makes this very daring request with no way of knowing how Artaxerxes is going to respond. Maybe those who knew Nehemiah, if they could listen, would look at, look at him rather quizzically. You rebuild Jerusalem? There are times when there's big building work to be undertaken for the kingdom of God. There are times when strong faith is needed. Because humanly speaking, this seems to be a non-starter. When occasions arise which call for strong faith to take on seemingly impossible tasks, what can you do to ensure that you will not back down? What will prevent you from caving in to supposed common sense and instead of saying, don't be so ridiculous, you actually can be the one that says, yes, Lord, I'm here, I'm ready, use me. Well, let me remind you of the words of Daniel. The people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. The people who know. People who are convinced. People who have experienced people who have learned to put their trust in, who know they are safe putting their trust in God. People who know. Know what? No, not what, who? Who know God. Actually, no, wrong again who know their God. The people who know their God. Those who are walking closely with him every day. So are you? People who are living their lives in close communion with him all the time. So are you? People of the word, because as we'll see this coming Wednesday, this word is God's testimony of himself. 
In this book you will find him. You hear him. You see him. You get to know him. In the place of prayer, you draw near to him and he to you. So how often do you go there? And as your love for him grows, so too will your trust and your obedience and your faith. It's those who know their God. Daniel addresses that too. They shall be strong. They shall be strong. Not might be. Not can be. Shall be. Your strength that you need comes from knowing God as your God and your Lord and your Saviour and your Father. Don't try to make yourself strong. Just get to know God better, deeper and you shall have strength because your strength is in him and your strength comes from him. Those who know their God shall be strong. They it is who will carry out great exploits for him. Will you be one of them? And thirdly, we see in Nehemiah, faith to see the task finished. Verses 6 to 8. Nehemiah goes on. Furthermore, I said to the king, if it pleases the king, I want letters. I need letters from all the different people in authority who I'm going to come across. And I want a letter for each one of them from you so that I get safe passage to where I'm going and I have access to all the resources that I'm going to need, please. Well, that's a step of faith, isn't it? Because Nehemiah has the faith to see the task finished. He can actually see himself in Jerusalem doing the job, getting it done. And so he presses on with the king and asks for everything he's going to need. Now, the world would say this, well, in for a penny, in for a pound. Well, that's not Nehemiah. Those whose faith is in God, they see things differently. This is a man who has the faith to see the task finished. We'd probably have forgiven him if the outcome of verses 3 to 5 was simply that Artaxerxes granted him a year's unpaid leave to go to Jerusalem, spend a bit of time there, and then come back again this time next year. We'd have said, well done, Nehemiah. You got out of that one well. But Nehemiah really does want to rebuild the city. And in faith, he presses the king further that he might be furnished with everything that he needs to actually go and do it. He has the faith to see the task finished. The Lord needs men and women who are ready to put their shoulder to the plough in faith, determined to see it through. He wants you to pray like that. 
He wants you to pray for the unconverted. He wants you to pray for struggling believers. He wants you to pray for gospel preachers. He wants you to pray for persecuted churches and pray and pray in faith and see it through. He wants you to grow in sanctification and holiness and in faith. See it through. He wants you to be a witness and bear testimony to your fellow students and colleagues and neighbours and friends and see it through. He wants men who will serve as elders and deacons in the church and in faith see it through. He wants women who will teach their children and disciple other women and in faith see it through. He wants workers for the harvest field, evangelists, pastors, teachers, people who will establish new churches, people who will edify existing ones and who in faith will see it through. Are you going to be a see it through Christian? In the words of the hymn, we face a task unfinished and it ought to drive us to our knees. And God is looking for believing men and for believing women who in faith will see it through like Nehemiah did. Like Nehemiah was willing to stand in front of the king and ask him. It looks as if ever greater opposition and persecution is coming our way. And God is looking for churches who will stand fast and hold their ground and see it through. Would you be standing with us to see it through? No matter what? He's looking for those who know him as their God whom he will strengthen to carry out great exploits and see it through. Why is such faith never in vain? Why is such faith never a lost cause? Why is such faith always worth it, no matter what it might cost you? Look at the end of verse 8. You have this certainty, you have this assurance, you have this guarantee. According to the good hand of my God upon me. And that's it. That's all you need. To know that the good hand of your God is upon you. When you exercise faith like this, all that is ever done will be according to the good hand of your God upon you. The successes will be his success. The disappointments, because there will be disappointments, well, they'll be just as much a part of his will and purpose as the joys. When your faith is put on the spot, when everyone's looking at you, 
this is your strength and this is your comfort, that this is according to the good hand of your God upon you. And in his strength, if you know him as your God, he will strengthen you. And you will find that you have the faith to do great exploits. And you have the faith to see it through to the end. Well, may, may the Lord be pleased to raise up such men and women in the faith in this church to his glory.